Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the new season of the Chelsea. I know the questions you've all been fretting over during the summer. Would I still be the master of the ultimate prediction? Would we still be able to pay the big bucks to get serious pundits in? Or would we still be reliant on the goodwill and opinions of Andy Saunders and others? What are you well, picking yourself up about predictions for? You're rubbish at predictions. I think you find I got quite a lot right last year. Or were you being ironic? Who can say? What is irony? Gary might know, and he's here as well. So, yes, that is the dulcet tones of Mr. Mega Pundit, Mr. Andy. Oh, no, what's his name? Saunders, that's it. I'll get it right this year. Hello, Andy. How are you? How's the summer been? It's all right. Yeah, it's the summer, though, isn't it? It's the summer. It's way too early for football. I'm not even thinking about football at the moment, although I'm still uh, still buzzing a little bit off the Lionesses. But, I mean, like, football, Chelsea football, I haven't really thought about it. So this is going to be a tough old podcast. Oh, that, that's... Well, there's, there are things to talk about, but they're more general things. It's, yeah. it's quite intriguing. We'll get into it. Mm. And, of course, we've got the first game of the season in a few days. I'm with you. You know, this is the hottest day we've had up here since that heat wave. I think we're at 28 degrees today here. So, yeah, it's uh, it's quite strange. Well, luckily, a man who is well-versed in how to handle heat waves and the heat because he's got such a huge pool and not a hot tub in his uh, garden. It's Mr. Gary, I've got a pool haze. Hello, darling. How are you? And and of course, you, you've elevated now. You're you're permanently in Royal Tunbridge Wells, as you like to mm, keep telling us. Frequenting my local, the Ivy. But, but my, Just my popping God. along for a takeout later. At the, chain, the, real the chain restaurant that is the Ivy. Yeah, it's not even the real Ivy, is it? <laughs> it's basically a McDonald's with real menus. That's that's all it is. Put up the price of a cheeseburger this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, there's dozens and dozens of Ivies. It's not it's not that exclusive. But there's only yet. one in Royal Tunbridge Wells, darling. Yeah, yeah, but there are dozens and dozens of haze. But you know, they say, but there's only one. There's only one, Gary. Thank God. Well, there um, were two, but he died. Oh, that's what? brought the mood down. That's that's oh, darkened things and a little bit. That's, that's, Thanks, Gary. Go. Thank you very much. Gary's well, you ruined the whole have, oh, season. Oh, you shouldn't have mentioned hold on, it. Hold on, hold on. Just let's cut that bit out. <laughs> can't be swearing. <laughs> so, well, yes, New Gary, season, new me. No, don't, don't be misbehaving on day one. Um, right, so we've got Andy and we've got Gary. How's your summer been, Gary? Have you been busy? Have you been avoiding all football? Yeah. That's it. One word answers. This is going right. to work well. I've, I've been busy. I've uh, 
yeah, kept myself doing stuff and um what stuff have you been doing, Gary? This is not this is not great content. Sold my house twice. What do you mean you sold it twice? Um, well, because the prick pulled out the first time. Oh, okay. Ga- hold on, hold on. Look, Gary. You can just, say prick. Prick's all right. Can I don't yeah. think we should. I yeah, think, you I can't. Think I, I, I mean, Gary dropped the, dropped the F-bomb. I'm partial to dropping the C-bomb, but I think you can say prick. Can we keep all yeah. this in just so everyone knows that Kerry doesn't laugh all the time and gets angry? I do get angry because <laughs> we've when, just when, got to He's angry right. and handy right now. No. We're going to have to put an E let- on it now, aren't we? We're going to have to put an E for explicit on it. But I think, I think prick is all right. Well, I don't know. I think Sorry, maybe we'll the individual out. pulled out. <laughs> the prick pulled out. <laughs> so I had to sell it again, and I did. Right. So now I'm waiting for that to go through. Really glad what what really... else have I been doing? I've been avoiding Kerry. But uh, that's just not true. He's phoned me most days to just say, please, please make me happy. And So listen, while, while you're both here, what's happening with your podcast? What's happening with the, wow, with the blueprint? We have news. Do you? Because you said you had news last time, and that was like three months ago. What's happening, boys? The news what? is there is no news. Right. We are slaving away on it, or I am. It's nearly done, and it's going to be released soon. And just just for, for, for any potentially new listeners, uh, what, what is this podcast, Gary? The Blueprint, how Chelsea FC changed football forever. From 92 to 2012, right from... Mr. Bates and Mr. Hoddle, right through to Roberto Di Matteo and Eddie Newton. So, so give, that so given twenty the, year story. So, given that you've been working on this for seven li- years, literally years, seven years, seven uh, years. What is your estimated time of arrival for this podcast for the viewers and listeners? Well, I've got to discuss that with Kerry, but it will be soon. Keep an eye out on social media. You can follow us at Blueprint underscore Pod on. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, or you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts, which is the Blueprint colon How Chelsea FC Changed Football. Find us there. We've got a trailer up, but there will be more stuff coming out. And it is an incredible story, eight part narrative series. Kerry narrating my words and um, uh, 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 Kerry changing Gary's words. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it is okay. In all seriousness, did I you think... cut my interview out, or am I? In it? Am I? In oh it? no, you're in there swearing as well, which we oh, need yeah. to run by you to make sure. Okay, because uh, you do actually use the p word about someone. Um, <laughs> okay, so but we won't reveal that on air. You, you have to tune in and find out, everyone. It's shocking. But, but, but seriously, I think it is. Um, I know I'm going to say this, but we're going to start doing a lot of PR around it soon as well. And um, I think if you're a Chelsea fan and you think you know the story of Chelsea in the last twenty, well, the last thirty years, but it goes up to twenty twelve, um, then that's great. But you don't, um, and there's a lot of stuff that we think is out there in the public in the public domain, which I think we're going to be sort of rewriting a little bit of that, not because of our opinions, but because of the people that are involved. Um, so there's a lot of depth on certain areas of what's gone on around Chelsea. We take fans inside the deal of when Chelsea was sold uh, to uh, Mr. Abramovich. Uh, th- there's so much there. And obviously you're in it as well, Andy. The and can I, Chelsea Radio. And can I just say, in answer to your question then, Andy, no, we don't know yet. <laughs> the, the hard part as well. What do you well, mean don't know what? Don't know what yet? The date. That was your initial oh, okay, question fine, when fine, it's fine, coming fine. out. Right, yeah, I'll bring it back about to half the, an hour ago. Yeah. yeah, after the extra podcast bonus special wow. about the blueprint. But um, there's a lot of other stuff we've done with it, which has held us up. So we've been waiting on a couple of major, major interviews. I was just about interviews. to say that. Oh, I was sorry, just, go on. I was going to say, that's, 
there's been a couple of things that have been holding us up, including waiting for a couple of major, major interviews. Now, I, what I was going to say is that the, the point is, with a lot of these people in the football world, it is really hard, especially if they're working in football, trying to get time with them if they're off with another club. And then when you're trying to get time with them in the summer, they're going off on holiday. So it's been waiting for things, juggling and waiting for certain interviews. And we've just got the last couple of people that we need uh, pretty much nailed down. And yeah, we're just waiting for a, a couple of those of were for the first couple of episodes as well. So they really held it up because obviously we can't release until they're in there right. and we don't want to write those episodes fully because we don't know we've got an idea of what they're going to say but we don't know what they're going to say so we've had to hold it back um a couple of them are in reaction to other other interviews we've had so we've had to give people a right of, to reply on that so we've got them involved that way um but there's just so much to it and you know I know we were joking before, but just being on a, a serious moment for a moment with it is that um, it's a real. I think it's going to be a really important series for where Chelsea are positioned now and how fans understand the club. And there'll be a lot of fans like yourselves that are legacy fans that will, I think, hopefully learn new things about the club through it. But then there'll be fans that are new to the club within the last 20 years or so that will sort of really get a grip on why it is they support the club. So it's a really big section of Chelsea and really I, I hope that people hear it and it puts modern Chelsea into context well hurry up and bet it out that's all yeah, I'll say absolutely okay right. and also as well just quickly what one thing as well Andy that's held us up is we've been we won't give too much away but we've been navigating the um the perils of music licensing oh, and yeah. it is a complete nightmare it is it is yeah, but now library music. Road, library music. What, that's where you need to go. Well, what we've done is we're at the end of the road. We have bought the rights to a song that we're having to re-record, um, and that's where we'll leave it. No, we bought the publishing, not the mechanics. You know what I mean? The publishing rights. You know. Yeah. Well, other people mm. don't. We've got to explain to them. But yeah, it's you know what it's like, Andy. You've done I do. enough. I do. Film work and music work. It, it, it's no. it's something that always holds up creative projects is music licensing. Yeah, it's funny because I've I've learned about the delays of music licensing through Kerry and Kerry's learned about the delays of just getting access to anyone in football through me. It's, it's been true. terrible. And just when, just because somebody says, yes, I'll do it. Doesn't mean that they do it. If you know what yeah. I mean? It's re really tough. Anyway, well, look, look, I'm genuinely, genuinely looking forward to hearing it. So as I say, hurry up and, and get it out there so we can all have a listen and, uh, and, you know, enjoy the seven years of hard work that you put into it. Absolutely. Well, all, all I'll say, the last thing I'll say is we have spent some time with incredible people from Chelsea's recent history and a little bit further back. And honestly, the things we've heard, the things that we've had told to us, just been wonderful. And we can't wait to share it with everyone. All right, well, let's let's move on. OK, Andy, it's not been a summer for football other than, of course, the Lionesses and that amazing win this weekend, which I really hope does something good for, for the women's game. It's about time that we won something big. It's the first football title for England for a long, long time. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, and I'm sure all of us want to say congrats, especially to the to the England team, but also to the Chelsea girls. And I would say Frank Kirby was fantastic most of the tournament. And, and Millie Bright was a rock. And uh, then you have to feel for Jess Carter and... And uh, Beth England, Beth England, who didn't play a single minute in the tournament. 
and yet she was looking so vibrant and happy wonderful thing did you enjoy it andy loved it i have to say i, I didn't really kind of engage with it at the very very beginning but i just think it was a bit of a, a tsunami really wasn't it it just engulfed and, and engaged everybody and by the i found it quite emotional yesterday i have to say um it was brilliant i was watching it with my wife and daughter and you know you think back about where women's football was 15 even 10 years ago you know, when girls weren't even allowed to play football in PE and when most of the women representing clubs had jobs supporting their, you know, their, their playing activities, the game wasn't professionalised. And just to blow our own trumpet for a short second, we have been long supporters of the women's game. We've had Emma Hayes on here a long time before most other people did. You know, we've always tried to keep an eye on and cover and support our women's team at Chelsea uh, and women's football in general and uh, yeah I thought it was an amazing tournament an amazing achievement and hopefully the legacy of it will be people taking women's football a lot more seriously clubs taking it a lot more seriously brands and sponsors taking it a lot more seriously and more people engaging and supporting and enjoying women's football which I think has come on so far in recent times that you know it's it's quite incredible. And Gary, do you think also what's happened is people have seen that women's football is a different game to men's football and comparisons just shouldn't be made, should they? No, I don't think they should. I think the women's game should stand alone as the women's game. You don't need to compare it to the men's. I think you look at, you know, the Rolling Stones make rock music, but so do the Who. They're, they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it differently. And there's no reason why you can't like the Who and like the Rolling Stones, right? Um, it's a very different sport. It's played in a very different way and good luck to him and long may it continue. And what do you think Chelsea should do going forward? Have you got any ideas about, do they just carry on supporting them and making it grow, make Kings med? I mean, what do you think about the fact is they, because of course they announced that the first game of the season will be played at Stamford Bridge. How do you see that? Is that a good thing to do? Is it the right thing yeah. to do? I think it's really healthy because what it's doing is it's exposing more and more people to it. I think where the real progress will come, and I'm not saying it will happen now, but I think what I would like to see for the women's game and the growth of it is that we're all under one banner of Chelsea, the youth teams, the women's team, you know, but let them sign their own shirt deals, you know, let them bring in their own money because they're just getting money trickled down to them from Whale Finn, who had a new sleeve partner and three, let them go out and put, their own money in their own coffers because they can start doing that now. Let them get their own shirt deals. Let them do their own because, you know, treat them as one that we're Chelsea, but, you know, but they they can run themselves and they, they've worked hard enough not to rely on the men. They're getting the three on their shirt because it's the men's team that's getting that deal. Let them go out and put value on themselves because they will make more money for those players by doing their own deals. They might not get the level of what the men are getting now, but they can build up to it. I think if you start allowing them to do that and they negotiate that, you know, you look at the um, the England team now, they have their own women's shirt. They're not wearing the same shirt as the men. Let them have their own sh shirt deals, whether it's with Nike, but it's a separate shirt that allows them to bring in their own revenue and then they can start existing by themselves where they're not relying on the men and they're just getting the, the hand-me-downs from the men. I think that would be really healthy. I, and, I, I, Andy, how how do you see that? And and what would your PR advice be for the? I don't think they side? need any PR. I think the PR's you know it's all in place now. I mean the PR was winning. That that was the PR and 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 the the sort of roll on effect of that will will be enormous. Hopefully, I mean there are 
always moments in sport that, that provide tipping points. I think in cricket, for example, 2005, when England won the Ashes, saw a massive uptick in interest in cricket, Euro 96 for football. Um, there are moments in sport where things happen to to create real waves. I think you're going to see a massive uh, resurgence, or not even resurgence, but a massive surge in grassroots women's football and support for it. I think Gary makes a brilliant point, actually, about the commercials surrounding women's football. I think one of the reasons that the Premier League clubs have supported women's football is they can see um, the brand opportunities and the engagement, global engagement opportunities uh, that are there. It's now time, as Gary says, for them to give them their own space to do that. I think the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is now we have American owners. American women's football has been big for a long time, much bigger than it is here and much bigger than most places in the world. Um, And I think that an American owner will really understand the potential for women's football and what it can do for a club um, and will back it 100% and I think that Chelsea have been a real trailblazer in this we professionalised the women's team probably earlier than a lot of other people we've given them the facilities we've given them the opportunities they are successful they've got a brilliant manager Gary's quite right we need to give them the commercial infrastructure around them so that they get well paid well supported and, and can keep building and progressing on the fantastic work that they've already done yeah doesn't Todd Bowley own part of a women's club in the US anyway Yes, I don't know, but does. it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he's yeah. invested in one. Can I just say as well, I remember when I was yeah, working at Chelsea. Fish, is it Thingy Fire, isn't it? Um, Chicago Fire. Chicago oh, Fire. No, they're, they're an MLS team for uh, the no, men. Is it like yeah. Portland Falls Hayes. or something like that? He's got money something in it anyway. Weird, yeah. We got, but um, I remember working at Chelsea when, it, this must have been, what, 15 years ago when Chelsea just signed Eni Aluko. And the team was still part-time then. But this is the difference in... And there's people that are more versed, you know, better versed than me in this sort of stuff because, you know, I'm a casual observer of women's football. I don't follow it. I'm not going to make out I do follow it as closely as I do with, you know, the men's game. Um, But I remember being there and the way the club was treated then, the women's team, was that... um, I think it was called Chelsea Ladies then. Then they changed it, right, to women later on. But um, they'd signed any Aluko. And we were like, oh, wow, like, because obviously we knew who Luca was because she was the star of the game, right? And she had sort of risen to the top as one of the few that was sort of not household names, but known, right? And um, but I remember like the, the coach was Sean Gore, who was the head of football in the community at Chelsea. Right, it was sort was. of just it was sort of just farmed out to Sean to oh, by the way, as part of your football in the community remit, you have to coach the women's team. And then it's it was a few years later that it started changing and they brought in um, I think he went to Liverpool to coach and then they brought in Emma Hayes and obviously it's just gone, you know, through the, you know, to the stratosphere since then. So when you see it, like, I forget who was said, whether you carry around Andy, but that rise of the game in England since it turned professional and, you know, it's a nice bookending of the story where the fact they played Germany in the, the last final they were in and got beat 6-2 and then they're playing them again and it's 2-1 to England. This, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see and, I think it's you know long may it continue because it's great for women to have that opportunity to go out and express themselves in the sport. But I think it's just great for football in England generally. I love seeing England win. I, I watched one game in a tournament and it was the final. So I hold my hands up and I'm a glory hunter on it, right? But I think it's incredible to see and you know, long may it continue. I'd say also what I loved as well through this whole period is none of them have been trained to within an inch of their life on, on media talk to just be boring. You could get palpable, genuine wonder 
at what they'd done came coursing through the interviews. They were genuinely just being themselves. And I think that was so refreshing as well. It wasn't just the, the standard lines coming out. You could feel what it meant to them so much. And I think that's what's made it so wonderful. It's a very personable group of people. And I think the nation connected with them. And uh, yeah, long may this continue. May this be an even bigger move for women's football in this country. And I just want to, you know, we, it, there's a temptation, I think, for three blokes to be sitting there going, well done, ladies. Um, yeah. but, but, but really, genuinely, I think I just want to end by saying, football's really good. It's really good. And it probably wasn't 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it, it wasn't that good. And, and now, I think, because it's professionalised, because they have the conditioning, they have the fitness, they have the training, and they have the input from the expert coaches that they've got around them, and they're able to do this as a full-time job. The quality of some of the football was amazing. Really, really good. And, and, and so, you know, this is successful on merit, not because people want it to be successful. And I think that's a brilliant thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, let's get on with some of the other stuff that's been going on. I, I know we're not going to get into any supposition, because I know you don't like that, Andy. But I don't mind a been... little bit of it. I don't mind oh, a little bit of it. See. A little bit. No, a little <laughs> bit. But what I don't want to do is just all, get, all to get too excited about something that's written on News Now, Chelsea. I, oh, yeah, I'll close you that see, web page now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's Gary off then. That was all he was going to talk about. <laughs> Darn. I, but it, it has been... OK, the, the, this is an interesting area to discuss because, for me, I think we expected Chelsea to move out a lot of players quite quickly and it hasn't happened. Um, and what has happened is that we've moved out Buck, Granovskaya and Petr Cech. And are we actually seeing... Because we've been told that they'd be hanging on to, to help be consultant, help through perhaps a window or so. That was the supposition. And actually, Bowley and his team got their feet under the table and they've moved quite swiftly and decisively in changing the makeup of the boardroom. But also, do we think that the whole situation with transfers is they are finding out how difficult it is when players have been given more money than perhaps they would merit elsewhere, that just being able to move them on is not a simple thing? What do you think, Gary? Do, do you think we are seeing this slow-moving transfer market, and especially as we've talked about the need to transfer players out, is a result of actually some pretty poor contracts? Yeah, I think I don't. I don't think he's got rid of them or let them leave because of this. But I think Todd Bowley has seen the mess that Granovskaya and Buck have left behind. Whereas in the past, Chelsea could buy themselves out of trouble by simply just writing off a player's contract. Like, yeah, okay, we'll just pay him. Like they did with Conte, right? When they sacked him and they ended up paying like 25 million or whatever through the courts. But um, I just think you look at it and Chelsea, the situation they're in now, they've been sleepwalking into this for the last two years. We're running around Europe trying to sign any defender going because for the last two years, they've been signing way too many attackers, as we've spoken about in the past. There's been an imbalance in the squad, which they always thought that you know, no one's predicting a sanction and then a rapid sale of the club. So I think that they sort of just thought, yeah, we'll be able to get out of this. It's fine. We'll buy ourselves out of it. And I think what you're seeing now is that the club is, they're trying to run the club properly. They're trying to run it on an even kill, but they've got to get through a lot of mess before they get to that point. And it's been a frustrating summer watching on from the 
you know, from the sidelines, seeing players linked that end up going to other clubs or trying to get rid of other players. I think they've done well given the circumstances, but I think anyone thinking that it's a bad thing to lose Granovskaya and Buck, it would have been nice to clip Czech because, you know, Czech is Czech, right? I always like having those connections that, that you know, the, the blood coursing through the club, people understand the culture of it. But um, I think you're seeing the mess that's left behind and Bodie's had to pick up on that. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff as we've seen with the New York times article, there's a lot of stuff about the culture at Chelsea that they're having to deal with as well. You know, the, the staffing culture, there's the playing culture, there's the uh, players on massive salaries that they're trying to get rid of. I'm ha- I'm happy to got rid of Lukaku. I'm over the moon with a sign in the Sterling and Koulibaly. I think that's great. If we could just add two more players to that, I don't think it wins us the title, but it puts us in a strong position because at the moment we're starting the season asking Thiago Silva to play 50 games. Yeah, and and Andy, how have you viewed this whole transfer situation? It has been slow. It's like pulling teeth. I think Gary's right. We'll talk about Koulibaly um, in a minute and uh, Raheem Sterling as well. But overall, do you get the same feeling that we're discussing here about the way we're trying to sort out the transfers? I thought Gary's uh, summary was very succinct. I haven't got a huge amount to add to it, really. Um, I think that, uh, like him, I'm pleased with the signings that we have made. I think they're very good signings. And I do think that there'll be other signings. And when we are linked with some interesting players, you know, and much as I don't like the supposition, the fact that we are linked with the likes of Wesley Fofana, the fact that we're linked with the likes of Cucurella, you know, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I don't set any store to it until they're standing on the pitch at Stamford Bridge holding the shirt. But, you know, it's interesting that those rumours still persist. Um, you know, we, we did get caught in a little bit of a situation with Barcelona, didn't we, with the Kunde deal, you know, with the Dembele deal, potentially with about three or four other deals. Barcelona seemed to be our nemesis in this transfer window. I think Gary's absolutely right about uh, the new broom coming in and sweeping out the old guard, uh, get, getting rid of um, uh, Granitskaya and, and Czech and and Buck, I think was smart a smart corporate mood uh, move. I mean, I know I know that's probably language that people don't like, but if you're buying something um, and saying you know and 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 saying that you know that you, that you want to do it your way, you have to get rid of the old guard, really. So whilst it might cause a few problems in the short terms in terms of continuity, you know, I think Gary's right. I don't think some of those deals were that smart. And one of the reasons we can't shift players on, it's obvious. It's all very well saying, hey, you can have. Timo Werner for 30 million but you're going to have to pay him 200 grand a week Timo Werner is going to turn around and say well thanks very much I'll just sit on the training ground and collect my 200 grand a week because he's on more than that he's on 265 whatever you know it's It's ridiculous it's a lot of money and you know it's all very well Newcastle or Liverpool going yeah we'll have him but they don't want to be paying a quarter of a million pounds a week for him you know that's the problem is the wages it's not the transfer fees Um, and the wages deals that we've done with some of these players out of desperation or because we were just a bit too profligate with Roman's money have really put us in a difficult situation. That's why Michi Bashwai is still at the club. You know, that's why three or four of these other players that people are saying, well, how come, how come Kennedy's still at the club? How come all these players are at the club? It's the wages. You can't shift them on. It's not as easy as saying, just sell them. And Gary's absolutely right. That bag of cement, Lukaku, I'm glad he's gone. And it was a stupid deal. And hopefully we'll reflect on it and learn from it. And it seems like the signings that we are making, you know, even though Koulibaly's 
at you know a sort of a slightly older level than I would like. You know, I I don't mind if they feel like positive signings. They feel like strategic signings. They don't feel like panic signings. I watched the the only preseason friendlies I've watched are the Udinese games this last weekend. And it's it it is interesting when you watch preseason friendlies because you can't read too much into them. But with classy players, you see them do a handful of things and you go, he's classy. And Koulibaly was definitely one of those. There was this sliding tackle he made and it was just like, I'll go and do this. And That's then he his thing, though. If you watch ball, any yeah. kind of YouTube compilations of Koulibaly, he's always he loves a sliding tackle. He does, but That's, his timing's great. And, uh, let's and hope so. Went, let's hope so. He doesn't do it in the box too often. Absolutely, but he just looked class. Uh, and I tell you, the other person who I thought didn't do himself any harm at all was Breuer. I mean, he's had injuries through this summer. Uh, that's why he wasn't in the America Tour. He came home from it. Um, but he played on the Sunday game because we had two games against Udinese. And, OK, he should have probably put one of the three chances away. But he was making runs and they were being picked up that I hadn't seen last year with, say, Lukaku. Um, I just think he could be an option. I, I think players like him, we've got to remember, we've got Conor Gallagher, who I don't think will be in the first team all the time. I think he'll be on the bench and he'll be blooded into the side. Looks very useful in the friendlies I saw. I think Breuer may well stay. We'll, we'll see. But they'll be like new players as well. And I think we have to remember, if they can get a couple of these players to be part of the squad... Not the first team, but be part of the squad and become integrated players. And we can find out if they can really work for Chelsea. That'd be as good as new signings, won't it? Well, I'll tell you what will be... Sorry, sorry, just very quickly. I think think what what was very significant about last season is how unlucky we were with injuries. I mean, if we'd have had a fit Reese James and a fit Ben Chilwell for the whole season, I think we could have had a pretty different season um, so if we can keep players fit if we can have you know 80% Kante for you know 90% of the time then I think that's going to be a real boost for us particularly in midfield if we can keep our defenders whether they're new or old defenders fit you know if we can keep Raheem Sterling fit if we can keep Mason Mount fit because of course he missed games as well um, I think that that will do an awful lot towards creating a rhythm for the side that's going to go on and, and, and achieve a little bit better than it did last season. All right, Gary, out, out of the people we've been associated with to buy, I mean, A, do you think people like Gallagher and Breuer could really help this season? But is there anyone, the names you've heard, that you go, oh, I really fancy him at Chelsea? I mean, again, it's supposition, but the ones that seem to be this week's favourites are Cucurella and Fafana. I spoke to a Leicester friend. I like Cucurella. Friend. Yeah, I, I like Fafana. We we were interested in Cucurella. Did I imagine that? Or were we interested in Cucurella quite a long time ago? And then it yeah, we were. Cooled. And then and he, went he went to Brighton. And he went to well, yeah, he went to Brighton, didn't he? And then, but we were we had were a in season. for him a, a long time. Yeah, a brilliant season. I mean, I think I think that's a really interesting link there. I mean, I think he's a he's a he's a really good player. But yeah, sorry to what, interrupt. What, what, what I like about him is that, um, see, what my concern is, is what Andy said about injuries last season is right, is that James and Chilwell, obviously Chilwell's was a freak injury, but James, just by the virtue of the fact he was playing every week, just couldn't keep fit. And he was getting those muscle muscle tears, right? Must such a concern. If we if we go to play 4-4-2, we can't, as we showed against Arsenal, where we just got run, it was just embarrassing. Um, Thiago Silva can't play 
in a he's like David Luiz, but more because of his age. He can't play in a two. He needs to play with the isolate, you know, with the uh, protection either side of him. So if you bring someone like Cucurella in, it means that you've got Koulibaly, Thiago Silva, and reading Matt Law in the Telegraph, he's saying that that's where um, Tuca wants him to play is on the on the left side of defence. Um, but then also you've got the flexibility of him; he can cover for Chilwell, so that, that allows you to bring someone like Chiloba in to sort of play twenty games a season, right? So to rotate him. But with that defence, there's no... You've got all the... It's a heavy-weighted on the left with Alonso, Emerson and Chilwell at left wing-back. Right wing-back, we've got no one. We've got Reese James. And yeah. you've got Aspi, who doesn't want to be at the club anymore, but Aspi, who can't get up and down the wing anyway, who has to play as a, a right centre-back. So you look at it and you think, if James gets injured, we're stuffed. And James so, gets injured every season. He always um, gets an injury somewhere because of the way he plays, I think. We'll just, yeah, think, we'll just stick Christian Pulisic there. Oh, God. <laughs> and it was funny we're talking about Brighton because it was against Brighton that he got put there over Christmas and uh, Solly Marsh just tore him a new one. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but the thing is, is all fairness to Pulisic is that he's not a right wing no. back. You know, maybe you could play Hudson Odoi there, but that's just asking It was him irony, to... Gary, from Andy. Oh, no, it no, but I'm just irony. thinking about it as well, though, of like, what can you do? They they need to be in. Um, it was funny. I was chatting to an American. They went, "Hey, who's this guy? Dumb fries." <laughs> 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 hey, hey, dumb fries on the right? Really? Yeah. You want to sign a guy who's dumb? Um. So dumb freeze could be good. Yeah. Um. Because then he obviously, but what he's what he what he's able to do, and the same as Cucurello, is that he's got that flexibility that he can fill in and you know, as a right centre-back or the right wing-back. Chelsea need to find a bit of flexibility there. But in terms of, I, I think in central midfield, we're over stocks and I'd, I'd like to see Gallagher getting some games. I think Breuer is in the right place at the right time because there's nobody, right? I think Sterling will be playing maybe through the middle more with Havertz in terms of the options, but it'd be great to see Breuer getting 15 games. Anyone thinking he's going to come in and bang in 20 goals a season is dreaming. But if he gets 10 this year, that'd be incredible. Um, but I liked a part of Favana, uh, the Fafana deal. They were saying that Chelsea were trying to lump Vardy in there. I'd take Vardy for two years. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, absolutely. Well, Leicester he's in 35. big trouble, aren't they? Yeah. Leicester in big trouble financially at the moment. But, but, but he's 35, Vardy. But I just think, what, and it was the same with the Ronaldo stuff that when they were talking, I was like, really? I think what Chelsea need to do is they need to find the short-term solution to the long-term problem. I think I think that's an, someone... I think that's an interesting uh, viewpoint. I mean, I, I look and and there's merit in it. I think Ronaldo particularly comes with so much baggage. That Too much. I think he just overwhelms the dressing room or overwhelms any situation that he's in because of his presence. And so, whilst I totally get that understanding, I mean Vardy, yeah, I mean Silver that's, was that's a perfect I mean. Silver was a perfect example of yeah. the short term solution to the long term problem, wasn't he? And he's ended up being you know part of the long term solution by the looks of it. But um, but but Ronaldo, no, I'm not having that. I, I just I just don't think that it's a good fit wherever he goes now. But Ronaldo no, or Vardy is great. I just I'm looking. I just think, okay, look, we're not building the team around them. We're expecting them to be here for five years, but there's no strikers on the market that we can get, and we haven't got a striker. So what can we do? Haaland was always going to City. Lewandowski's gone from Bayern to Barca. Where is there another striker really, really that we can bring in? So do you bring Vardy in for two years, or another striker who you know is going to get you fifteen to twenty goals in the hope that over that time Breuer can 
develop and grow? Or do you just think we're just going to stick with Havertz and not spend any money there? I just think getting someone in to score goals, you sort of papers over the crack. But if you do it with the idea of this is a short-term solution so that we can get the long-term plan in place, I think that's great. Oh, oh, or is football... Get, is fo- oh, sorry, Kerry. Is football moving away from this idea of the dedicated striker? And that's why Sterling's been signed and that's why we were in for Rafinha and that's why we're in for players like that, you know, because we're not looking to sign the old-fashioned number nine target man. I think that's because they aren't out there. Uh, whether that's just by design or just one of those moments in time where there just aren't any about... I, I think what's interesting is also this idea that Breuer learns now at the table. Pressure isn't on him in the same way that it perhaps was, say, for Tammy, when we had no one and we suddenly started putting him every game, every game, every game, and we expected him to do it. I think Breuer, yes, he's had a season at Southampton, uh, but now it's a different matter. You're going up a level, which is what I think will also happen with Conor Gallagher. I think he won't be starting a lot of the games, but he will get an amount of game time, a good amount of game time, and we'll see if they, they'll fit in. I think Breuer so, looks good. I think he looks really good. Uh, he's, he's, he's nowhere near the finished article. Um, no, he's and not. so, That's you know, I, mean. I, I wouldn't want to sell him because I think he's a, he's a great prospect. He's very old fashioned in the way that he plays, you know, which is a good thing. It's a positive in but the he's sense quick. that he's quick. He's quick. He's got a presence. He's physical. He's good in the. I mean, all that stuff is good. Can we play the kind of football that works? Because you know that was Lukaku, and Lukaku couldn't function within the system that we that we that we played in. Um, you know, it just it just didn't work for him. So having those perhaps smaller, quicker, more flair players up front moving. And actually you talked about the Udinese game. What was really interesting about the Udinese game was was the kind of the patterns up front were very, very different, weren't they? The, yes, the ball yes. was moving quickly, we were getting to the byline a lot more, we were cutting it back. The ball wasn't just going side to side to side to side to cross, is which which was what we've been doing for in recent years. There were much more Guardiola like patterns in there. Um and I think that's really interesting for the way Tuchel's brain is working at the moment. Looks, it looks really interesting. Do we have a finisher? That's the question. Do we have someone who can put those chances away? Uh, that, that's the perennial question at Chelsea. OK, well, look, we should go to a commercial break now, but we'll come back because there's a question that I want to ask both of you. So, yes, yeah, stick with us. Here's the commercial break. And we're back. Okay, here's the most difficult question I'm going to ask today. Is this make or break season for Kai Havertz? Let's go to Andy. That's a ridiculous question. Well, it's not. I, I, I don't think he's fully settled. He said it's been difficult. I'm not sure that he's... I want to be proven wrong, of course, but I'm not sure, especially in the role that we've been playing him, that he's done the job, particularly. He's a young player. Yes. We always forget that. He's a very, very young player. He's had COVID issues. He's had injury issues. He's had integration issues. There's, there's no denying that. Is he an unbelievably talented footballer who can do incredible things for our club? Absolutely. I can't even believe we're even having this conversation. That's my view on it. Okay. Gary, what's your view? Do you think that was a ridiculous question? I'm not as aggressive as Andy, but yeah, I don't think it's make or break. You can't put on a player his age. If he was 26, 27, I'd say it is. 
But, no, um, I was just curious because people were talking to me and saying he's not scoring the goals. What's I your like view, him as Kerry? a player. My view is he's playing in the wrong position. What's his position? I, I think it's behind the front players. I think him and Mount in tandem. Him and Mount in tandem. Would so playing be a sort of De Bruyne position. Yes, no, sort a bit, of a bit, bit further, further than forward. that. De Bruyne is a bit yeah. deeper, but. But what I'd say about him is last year there was a time when I was like, well, now I get it because he looked really good for a period and then he sort of dropped off. But you're asking you're asking him to play a role. That, you know, he even spoke about it in the summer, didn't he, when he said, oh, look, um, I'm being asked to play a different role. And in England, the defenders, they really want to touch you. you know, they really want to go through you. And I'm not used to that. But now I'm getting used to it. There's those things that you forget, you know, that suddenly as a player, if you're picking up the ball on the edge of the 18-yard box, as your first touch, you're just getting cleared out. Whereas when you're getting it and running the players, it's a whole different perspective on the game. So you've got to relearn how to play football. Yeah, and also you're absolutely right. He played as a makeshift number nine for for so much of the season. I don't think we can judge him on that at all. No, but... I I think that, in fact, we should praise him for adapting so well to that situation. I've always said, and I still think he's a generational talent, and we would be crazy not to give him the time to develop within this team. I just don't think we've had either the players or the system around him for him to really flourish in. That That's my view. So make or break season, no. Um, but we want to see some improvement now that there is a system and players around him that for, in, in which he can function. But we've got to play him to his strengths, and that's the, that's the manager's job. So the manager does his job and finds a way to get the best out of Kai Havertz. I, I think we'll look back on this conversation and scratch our heads and go, why do we even have that? Listen, I'm being, I'm, be, I'm being facetious, right? You're, you're perfectly entitled to ask the question uh, and, and, and it's provoked a discussion and, and, and that's absolutely fine. I, I'm just saying generally, anybody that thinks that this is a season where we put that kind of pressure on a young player like Kai Havertz is, is kind of missing the point of Kai Havertz, I think. Yeah, I mean, my point, and I'll pass to you in a sec, Gary, my, my point being that he is not suited to be the number nine. Yeah, he's done the best that he can there, but there's so much more of him as a player that is just being lost in that position. And you worry that that will ultimately affect him as a footballer. That, that's all my, my point is, that it is make or break as a number nine in a weird way. I just don't think he should be as a number nine. I know what you Gary. mean. There's a, there's a risk that we could waste his talent. Um, I, I just think you look at Havertz and you put a striker like Diego Costa in front of him with Mason Mount and Havertz behind it, you're winning the league. Yeah, Obviously, we haven't got Diego Costa, but you know the point I'm making. is like If Chelsea have got an out-and-out striker, goal scorer in that team in the way that we hope we're going to discover in the next 18 months to two years, Havertz is a different player and him and Mount dominate that league with the striker. How many chances did we create last year? And how many did we miss? And because we didn't have a finisher, and that's why lots that's why. And, I was and you know whether that was Werner or Pulisic or Ziyech or Lukaku or Mount or any of these players that just didn't finish the chances that we created. If we can get anywhere near, you know, a a higher percentage of finishes from the chances that we create, we'll be there or thereabouts. I genuinely believe that. I mean, look, you know, the the Man City have bought. Uh, Holland, who you know, essentially is 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 a is a character out of Game of Thrones. Isn't Pub he? finisher. We, we we just don't know. We don't know what he's gonna do. You know, he could just come in and smash up the league, or he can have a disappointing debut like he did yesterday. You know, and they're already saying, oh, it's gonna take him a little bit of time to integrate. You know, we have ruined enough strikers at Chelsea. It's about time somebody else.
itself started ruining strikers, isn't it? Let's hope it's Man City. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, OK, so let's move on to the other signing that we've, we've made. Raheem Sterling. I think this is an absolutely stupendous signing. Gary, what, what are your thoughts on this? I, when, it, when it came in, I, I kind of was scratching my head. I couldn't quite believe it. And I think it was a, an affordable price. He's got something about him. And, touch wood, he doesn't seem to get many injuries. Yeah, I, I thought we should have gone in for him five, six years ago. It would have been amazing. You know, he's proven his worth at City in that... I think he averaged 19 goals a season in the time that he was there, which is incredible for someone who's not a striker in the traditional sense. Um, the, only, the only thing that disappointed me when I saw it, I thought, God, it was just fought from five years ago. If only Jack Wilshere was still playing, it could have been the, oh, the dream stop duo. It. Stop it. Sterling and Wilshere coming to Chelsea. Better Aaron Ramsey, stick him in there as well, eh, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> all, those, all those lost loves of yours. Yeah, yeah, but, um, Gary's but no Sterling, hope I've, I've always been an admirer of Sterling, and I think that um, he's going to score goals at Chelsea. Where would you play him? I would play him on the left. Of that three, if we if we stick to the system we had last year, I'd play him on the left, in the way so, he plays for England, where Kane is the guy in the middle, and then you've got Mount on the other side. But it, obviously, with the team we've got, it would have to be Havertz through the middle. But then what I would do is I would have him replace Werner, ship Werner out, keep um, Pulisic and Ziyech, and let Hudson Odoi go as well. Ooh, well, and what do you think, Andy? How how do you see? Yeah, you play him on the left. You play him in that Hazard Pulisic role. Do you know what I mean? Because I think he can do damage from there, and it's proven that he can do damage from there. His awareness in the box is extraordinary. You know, I, I mean, I never really paid that much attention to it. What we also forget as well is three or four years ago he was being touted for a Ballon d'Or. You know, he was. People were looking at him as being the 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 next global talent, and uh, I think that. He found himself in a bit of a log jam, traffic jam at, uh, at uh, Man City in terms of players, in terms of Guardiola trying to find a system. He didn't quite fit in there, which is presumably one of the reasons he left. He's only 27. You know, we think he's we think he's been around forever. He's not he's not that old, I don't think. Um, and the very small glimpses I've had of him in a Chelsea shirt, I've been really excited. I think he's the closest we've got to that talismanic creative player than we've had for an awful long time, and, and that's what we need. I think it's a yeah. huge mistake from City to let him go. Me too. And I think Me they're too. paying the price because what it is is that City have been met with this problem because they spent 100 million on Graylish, who's shown himself not to be worth 100 million. So, for the same reason, we can't shift Werner and the others. They've got to keep him. But then Sterling's, well, well, you're playing him ahead of me as well. He's, he's getting games that I should be getting. So yeah. he's got a year left. So they've had to cash in on him. You yeah. think they've lost Jesus as well this year? I know. Yeah. That's a, great, that's a great signing for Arsenal, by the way. I'd have loved us to try getting him. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. So can I just ask, you said Greylish. You always say that. Is it Greylish, not Grealish? It's Grealish. He's just an idiot. Well, <laughs> in Kent, darling, the Garden of England. <laughs> Scone, scone. <laughs> Greylish, Grealish. You're the only person who says Greylish. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> yes, well, I have to say, I think Greylish, Grealish... Whatever, never a hundred million. And where where you pronounce it, he's still a mug. Well, look, here's an interesting thing about Grealish: is that you know when we talk about players that come from smaller teams into bigger teams, you can look amazing 
in a in a smaller team. If you're a big fish in a small pond, and and you know, look, you can say that about Conor Gallagher at Crystal Palace. You can say that to a degree about Breuer at Southampton. You can certainly say it about you know Mares at, at Leicester. These players, they come in and they smash it in these smaller teams because they are so far ahead of the other players they're playing with. When they go into a big system like City or Chelsea or any of the other top four or five teams, it's a completely different proposition because of the level of players that they're playing with. They don't stand out as much. The spotlight is not on them so much. And so sometimes it doesn't work. And I think that's probably the case with, with Grealish. I don't think it'll be the case with Conor Gallagher because I think he's a really fantastically talented footballer. Um, it may be the case with Breuer that he looked really good in an average Southampton team. Uh, but when it comes to stepping up to an elite side like us, it might not work. I mean, that's just a gut feeling that I've got but I hope not I'm not as excited about Breuer as I am about some of the other players coming back um, and, and, and players that we've signed It is a paradigm okay. shift with, with these players when they go from a smaller team like Graylish Graylish God, now I don't even know how to pronounce it. When he left, because the problem is, is that at Villa, he's used to getting all the touches. Exactly. Then he goes to City and he's like, what, I only get half the touches a game or a quarter of the touches, or I'm only playing 15 minutes. You know, Michael Ballack spoke about that when he signed for Chelsea. He's like, I find it really difficult because at Bayern, everything was coming through me. Now at Chelsea, there's an even better player called Lampard and he's taking the ball off me. Yeah, who are you going to give it to, De Bruyne or or Grealish? You know, what I mean, it's like who's going to play make out of those two players? You know, Grealish, you 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 just kind of be part of that system. As you're absolutely right, a Villa, he was the kingpin. Everything went through him, and I think that's a really really important point to make. That you know, when you are a small fish in a big pond, it can sometimes mess with your head a little bit and affect your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see. Okay, last point on players that we've still got. Is there, what's the biggest surprise when you look down the list to see who we've still got in our ranks? Is there somebody you thought, oh, I thought he'd gone? Well, I think I, Mi- Mi- I Mishi, I think. Is, is, is it you thought know. they'd gone or hope they'd gone? Yeah. Well, whichever. Okay, Mishi for you. What about you, Gary? Two. Batshuayi, you can only have one. Batshuayi only one. and Barkley. Yeah, Bar- okay. Barkley's an odd one, isn't it? I mean, okay. that must be, that must be wages. He? Must be wages. Okay, my big surprise is Baba Rahman. <laughs> yeah, we haven't Jose seen signed him. We haven't Jose seen, him. seen him, though, have we? No, but he's still a Chelsea player. Yeah. It's really funny. I was looking at the Premier League. They have the, the, all the players up on their things, and they've got pictures of uh, Conor Gallagher in a Palace shirt with everyone else, Chelsea kits on they've got Breuer in a Southampton shirt and they've got Billy Gilmore in a Norwich shirt and I thought that and they had two number 23s in their listing how do you feel about Billy Gilmore um I think Billy Gilmore is in a strange position now um he really should never have gone to Norwich I think it was a terrible move for him didn't look like a terrible move on the face of it though did it It looked like he could go in there and boss that midfield and get 40 games a season yeah, this is look. This is hindsight, which yeah. is a very easy thing to do. But um, I, I don't know. I don't quite know where he is as a player. I don't quite know how Tuchel views him. Ampadu, I think, maybe has more chance of being kept around than perhaps Gilmore. I mean, Ampadu, he well, just a just for bodies on the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The problem is that these guys have got with Gilmore and Ampadus, they they went to Norwich and Venezia respectively, and they they did nothing. So how can no, Ampadu played over forty games. Or yeah, something but he didn't. Last but he season. didn't do it. It wasn't like you look at him and go, "Wow!" In the way he did Conor Gallagher, and the way I look at these lone players coming back. Look, don't get me wrong, Gilmore 
we've got hopes he'll do something. But a lot of the time, I look at the loan players coming in, I think, okay, there's, I know the fans have got an emotional investment in them and they, I want to see him do well because he's Chelsea and stuff. But just take that emotion out of it. And if you said to these fans that are clamouring to fill the team with these loan players that are coming back, if you said to them, you know the season Chelsea had last year? Yeah. And they've got new owners? Yeah. And they're going to spend some money this summer? Yeah. But what they're going to do is they're going to spend that money on Ampadu and Gilmore, you know, and Breuer and others. And they're the players they're going to bring in with the view to Chelsea winning the league. Everyone would be having a hissy fit, throwing their toys out of the pram, going, announce Haaland. It'd be, where are the superstar signings? Because I know, obviously, it's a different perspective because they're loan players coming back in. But you've got to look at it and think, what are they giving the club? If they were signing them, and saying we're going to have them in as a squad, everyone would be complaining because they're, they're line players that have been hanging around and have got you know some emotion put on them. We think that, oh, they should come in and they should be an incredible addition immediately. And it's, it's not the case. Also, no, there's agree. this idea that, you know, that we would warehouse these players, that actually we can't play them because they're not as good as Kante or they're not as good as, you know, some of the other experienced, uh, you know, sort of oven-ready and bulletproof midfielders that we've already got. Um, we can't play them in the big games um, because, you know, they're just not ready. Uh, so we'll just stick them in a warehouse somewhere until we need them because I'm not going to go because Gary says we've got this emotional commitment to them. You can't stop young players from playing football because they might, at some point, come and fit in. You either play them, like we did with Mason Mount and Reese James, and blood them and make them part of the team, or you let them go, or you you know, give them squad time. But there doesn't seem to be a plan with players like Billy Gilmore at the moment, and that's, that's my concern. It's like, what, what is Billy Gilmore? Is he a squad player? Is he a perpetual loanee like Michi Betchoy? Are we looking to make some money out of him? What's the plan? I think that's the, that's the kind of confusion amongst a lot of fans. Well, I think also that's what this pre-season period is all about, isn't it, for Tuchel? Because he hasn't spent a lot of time with a lot of these players. He needs to work things out. I think he'll be demonstrative. But what I would say, and my last point on this transfer window, because we are running out of time and we should look forward to an actual game. My, my, My last point on this is that Tuchel needs to work out the transfers he wants to happen But I don't think we're going to do it in one window. I think it'll take probably two more windows before we get to where Tuchel wants this squad to be. What do you think on that, Andy? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, Listen, you know, Tuchel came in, I think, hugely overachieved in his first season. Um, uh, has done a lot of work not just on the pitch but culturally within the club and within the way that we, you know, we, we seem to have an identity as a club again now. I think he's really got the kind of personality that the club needed to to, to give us a, a vision. So I, I hope he stays. That's the first thing. And and I hope that the new owners work really collaboratively with Tuchel and his team to identify targets that are going to make Chelsea Football Club a long-term proposition with a manager with a vision. Absolutely right. Well, look, OK, let's move forward to the first game of the season. Everton away, Frank away. Everton, always a really nasty place for us to go to. This is a rude awakening, isn't it, Gary? Oh, I'm dreading this one. (sighs) Just It's come too early. Yeah, it's like playing Spurs in the second game. It's like we haven't had the best pre-season for a whole host of reasons. And um, Everton, looking at their results, haven't either. You know, they've got stuffed like 4-0 by 
Nashville FC or whatever, weren't it? Or was it no Minnesota United or whatever? But um, they're licking their lips at this, and you know the way they're going to play it. They'll play it like they did when we went there at the back end of last season. Where I was um, torn on that result, I'm not torn on this. I want us to to go and win, but oh, I think we're going to lose it. Okay, oh, what's is your it too prediction? early for predictions? No, no, no. Go for it. Two nil. Oh my god, that's horrendous. Andy, bring bring me some sunshine. Well, you know, uh, let's look at last season. Uh, we went to Everton, we lost 1-0. Um, uh, they came to us and it was 1-1. Um, it, it is a really tricky game for us. For some reason, it always, they always seem to get completely up for the game against us. Um, I think that Tuchel is better than Lampard. I think that our players are better than Everton's players. I think that actually early doors in the season, we should have uh, a fit squad who can go out there and, um, you know, play in a system without too many injuries. I'm a little, probably a little bit more confident. I think it's going to not be a high scoring game. I'm going to say we will go up there and win 1-0. Sterling will okay. score. Okay. I'm going to go with, I think we're going to confound everybody I think it's going to be 3-0 Chelsea, Havertz hat-trick, all set up by Raheem. <laughs> See, j- just, to, just to add to what Andy was saying, this is what concerns me, is that because it's the start of the season, we're still undercooked, we're not going. And I don't know whether the two weeks since they've been back from the US has done anything, but someone said to me, go on, look at Chelsea's Instagram, the video of the players getting on the plane when they were going to Italy. And when you saw it, the players looked shattered because he was annoyed with the effort they put in in America where they didn't get fit quick enough. So he flogged them at Cobham, right? And you see him walking on the plane and it's like they've got a lot of acid burn in those legs. So I don't know whether they've been able to make up lost ground since they got back, but I don't think the team is ready fitness-wise, strategic-wise. They're still trying to bring other players in, obviously. And... I just think it's going to be a bit of a shock. Same for both teams, though, isn't it, Gary? Yeah, I, th- I think Chelsea... They're at home. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's only 200 miles up the motorway, mate. It's not It's not like we're travelling no, no, intercontinental. No, but it's the atmosphere and it's everything. And I just think that on the back of what happened in America, it shows that it had, it very, it had very much like Jose 2015 vibes. Yeah, it did. They were sort of the season starting a week too early. We started that season against Swansea and we had that draw when all the Eva Carnero stuff hit the fan and Jose was just angry from the start because the players weren't fit. And then by the time they did get fit, the season was over. Yeah. I'm not saying it's as drastic as that, but it just gives me that feeling. Yeah. And what, what's interesting as well is Tuchel has now given them two days off completely today and tomorrow. Um, They are not coming into the the training ground. Well, I shall hopefully be watching it. By the pool with a big fat Cuban cigar. Oh, what are you coming over? A proper pool. A proper pool. Not a paddling pool somewhere in well, mid-Kent. I'll get the hose pipe out and fill it up. <laughs> Gary's pool party. There we go. There's something to avoid. Um, okay, well that's that's it. We are done for the first show of this, our twelfth season. Um, that's it from everybody. It's fantastic to catch up with you, Andy, and you, Gary. As always, your opinions count, I think. Um, And 
we've shared them with you. So, yeah, we'll all be back next week. I won't. Oh, yeah, of course you won't. I'll no. have to get... I'm coming back from holiday. I'll be on a plane, but um, I will be back the following week. So don't mess it up. Don't mess up that first game of the season. It's really important, guys. Don't well, yeah, it no, no. curious me, Rod. Could I come on next week? Oh, you know? God. Uh, oh my God! I don't I want really... you to be. I don't want you to be unfit and undercooked for the first <laughs> podcast reel of the season. This is. I don't want there to be real. acid burn in your legs or your brains. I want you to be fully fit. And well, focused. you know, it's got to be like 1967, summer of love. So 1960, and when we lost to Tottenham, oh, you had to bring us down again, Gary <sighs> and Ron. Oh dear. Okay, well, look, that's it. We are out of time. Thank you so much, as always, Mr. Andy Saunders and Mr. Gary Hayes. Everybody, have a lovely time. Andy, have a great holiday. Thank you. Gary, enjoy your paddling pool. We'll be back. Keep the blue flag flying, hey? Come on, you blues. Almost got there without messing it up, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to turn it in Scottish at the end. Hey-ho. And keep the blue flag flying, hey? If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.